You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that as we enter into your word, that uh, our thoughts would be deterred from things worldly, but that we would set our minds on things heavenly. In Jesus' name, amen. It really is so good uh, to see you here this morning. It's been such a long time. It's uh, hard for me. At the 9.15 service, I began to drink from this glass, and as I began to drink, I wondered, was this from March 15th? It wasn't. Uh, Thankfully, the altar guild hasn't missed a beat uh, as we gather together. But uh, this morning, we continue through uh, 1 Thessalonians as we near the end. And Paul is talking about things of eternity, uh, things that may have been on your mind throughout all of COVID, uh, about uh, this world, but moreover, the next. And Paul turns his attention this morning to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, In our tradition, we celebrate the seasons of the year, and Advent is just around the corner for us. And typically during Advent, we think more about Christmas, uh, the first Advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, his first appearing amongst us. And uh, there we have in our window to the left of the communion table, uh, you can see the serene and lovely scene of uh, the babe uh, born to Mary and laid in a manger, and the angels having the conversation over that scene almost in hushed tones. Uh, we've experienced that first coming, we've celebrated it. But the coming, the advent that Paul is talking about here is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look to the window to the right of the communion table, it's a totally different scene. Jesus comes not as a babe born into a manger, but as a conquering king. The angels dressed for battle, and he's come to judge the quick and the dead and to set all things to rights, to destroy sin and death once and for all. Jesus will get the final word. And it's that question of the second coming that the Thessalonians are a little bit anxious about. Uh, They're anxious because they're wondering, and you see this back in chapter 4, what about people who have died before Jesus came back? Will their experience of his second coming be somehow diminished because they died before he came back again. Paul's response to them is not to worry about those who have died before Jesus' coming because they are with Jesus. Their body may lie in the ground or their ashes scattered on the golf course, but they are alive with the Lord Jesus in heaven. That's what Paul says in verse 10. Whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And there will come a day when the trumpet shall sound and their souls will be reunited to their bodies and they shall be resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. And they will stand with us who are alive when the Lord Jesus comes again and we shall behold him together. Paul says, do not pity them for they are with God in his heaven. In fact, you should be looking at yourselves, thinking on your own lives, 
on your own mortality, on your own life in light of Jesus coming again. And so Paul says this morning in chapter 5, I think three things that we need to take note of. The first is the uncertainty around the time of Jesus coming. We know not when he comes. But secondly, the inevitability of his coming, because he will come again. But thirdly, and the question that concerned the Thessalonians and probably concerns us too, what difference does it make that Jesus is coming again? Well, there is an uncertainty about the time of Jesus coming. In verse 2, Paul tells the Thessalonians and us that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. We do not know when Jesus will come back again. Even Jesus himself said he knew not the time nor the hour, but that he would return. I feel like it's a little bit like having a home security system. Many of you have one. But how many of you actually use it? I've run into any number of people who have been robbed in the night, and they've said, well, we do have a security system. We just don't turn it on anymore. And Paul is saying to us this morning, you ought to have a sort of spiritual ADT system that is set to go off when Jesus returns. You should know that he's coming. You should expect that he's coming. But because you don't know when he's coming... You need to be vigilant. You need to make sure you turn the system on. You need to watch for him. Now, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about our not being caught unawares. Now, whether that be his second coming or his death, or your death, rather, all of our lives are to be lived in light of these two facts. We may not know when we are going to die or when Jesus returns, but we know one of those two events will happen to us personally in our lifetime. They're unavoidable. They're inevitable. And so we don't know when he's coming or when he'll call us home, but we know we must be ready. Paul goes on to compare Jesus' second coming to a woman in labor. We may not know when the baby is going to come, but the baby's coming. It ought not to surprise us, but how often it does. Lauren and I have been blessed to be pregnant, or she's been pregnant, I've just kind of been helping. She's been pregnant three times, and we've had three daughters, and each time we've talked about having this bag ready to take to the hospital when she goes into labor. You know how they tell you to do with all the things that are in it, and do uh, and you know how many times we've actually had the bag ready? Zero. Oh, for three. We knew the babies were going to come. We even had an idea of when the time was, and yet the priority of putting the bag together just wasn't there. We'll get to it later, we said. It'll be fine. We'll sort it out, exactly as the people did in Paul's day, those who say everything is great, everything is fine. But he says, no, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There are those who think 
but all is well and life is good. These are the people in Noah's day who passed Noah as he built his ark, and they thought, what a stupid, foolish man. What in the world must he be thinking to dedicate his time getting ready for something that probably isn't going to happen? It's a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. I have no time to think about rain. My concern is what's going on in my life right now. And Paul says that this is foolishness and that that great day is coming. And it is a guarantee that none will escape. Are you prepared for the Lord's coming? Does he ever cross your mind? Yes, he came once as a baby, but his second coming will not be so quiet. There will be no mistaking when he comes this time. There will be no gossip or conjecture, but as Johnny Cash reminds us, when the man comes around, the hairs on your arm will stand up. Every man, woman, and child will behold Jesus and know exactly who he is and why he has come. And some will be so terrified that they will cry out for the mountains to fall down upon them. Now, some of you this morning may think, well, Andrew, that makes for really good storytelling. But do you really believe that? Do you really think it's going to happen? After all, since Jesus ascended, every generation has thought that Jesus would come back during their lifetime. But of course, that's exactly what Paul is saying each generation ought to do. We all ought to live our lives in light of the Lord's return. We should be ready. We should be prepared. And so Paul finally turns to the question, what does this look like to be ready? What does it look like to anticipate the Lord's return? Well, initially he talks about the difference between living in darkness and living in the light. He says those who live in darkness, darkness is when you go to sleep, darkness is when you get drunk, but you're not to be like those who live in darkness. Now, the hard thing about this is even though those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ are children of light, the fact of the matter remains that we live in a world of darkness. But what the light does is it gives us perspective. It allows us to see things that other people can't see. And so it may be that the world says, let's eat, drink, and be merry, they rarely consider that tomorrow their life may be demanded of them. They really don't countenance that the Lord Jesus is going to return. They're not looking for him on the horizon. And so Paul is saying where everybody else who's living in the darkness is self-indulgent, is thinking about satisfying their own passions and their own cravings, you live your life differently. And I'm not simply talking about morality. I'm talking about what it means to live life in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. It changes your perspective on everything. The world looks different. It makes you step back and ask the question, what is my life for? What am I living for? And even if you're not a Christian, you've actually thought that during COVID, haven't you? 
as you've been cooped up, and we may even see another kind of lockdown with the cases rising. And it's given us time with ourselves to really ask the question, all this that I used to spend my time on, was that really necessary? Have I chosen the greater portion? Did I have my priorities right? Were they they ordered in the way that they ought to be? Was my life really bringing about satisfaction? Or was I just spinning my wheels and spending all of my time focusing in on the wrong things? Well, being a Christian means that that actually is an ongoing process that we ask ourselves all the time. We don't need COVID for that. In fact, COVID might be a help in us getting perspective But Jesus is greater than COVID, and he's going to come again and set it all to rights where there'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more dying, and he himself will wipe every tear from every eye. I don't want us to have this idea of the Christian life that we're moving simply from point A to point B on a luxury ocean liner. And we're eventually going to get there, and so it doesn't really matter how we live our lives. God will just kind of carry us there. Now, I do think that God gives perseverance to his saints, that we press on, and and those of you who are reading Pilgrim's Progress right now will see that in the life of Christian and faithful and hopeful and all others who strive on to that end of the celestial city, and it is indeed God who carries you there. But rather than a luxury liner, life for the Christian is a battleship. You're going from point A to point B, and God is going to carry you there. But while you're on board, you're dressed and ready for action. That's the picture that Paul gives us when he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We live our here and now in light of eternity. We live our life in light of Jesus' return or his calling us home. He says, what are you doing on this battleship? What should you be doing as a Christian while we wait? Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's remarkable, isn't it? Nothing special. Encourage one another and build one another up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remind one another that you belong to Christ. Because when God comes again, he has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our faith in him, because of his death and resurrection, we look forward to his appearing again. And even death is not something to be feared, for God himself will defeat that last enemy on that last day. But as he says here, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Whether we sleep or whether we're awake, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his. Every Sunday we gather together. We declare our belief to one another that Jesus will return to judge the quick and the dead. Do you really believe it? Beyond believing it, does it make any difference in your life? Does it cause you to set your eyes upon him? 
Does it cause your heart to glow with expectancy for his return? Do you find that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace? Does it cause you to hold your church family and all other blessings of this life as special? Because here gathered together this morning is the earthly manifestation of the heavenly gathering. This is not just some get-together, but what we're getting this morning is a glimpse of eternity together in Jesus. It is the glory that we talk about when we say that so-and-so has gone on to glory. It gives us perspective about how we are to live now. And it causes our own personal preferences and agendas to be left at the door and to cling fast and hold on to those things that are eternal and actually mean something. Now, I'm going to do something that I know uh, not to do, and that is I'm about to preach from my wounds. Uh, I was taught long ago that I should only preach from my scars. But this morning, I'm going to preach from a wound. My very elderly grandmother died last Sunday, and she was my best friend. It's strange how that works out, but as she would remind me, I was born old, and so it worked. And death, like any other death of a loved one, gives us perspective on what is important and what's not in life. Thankfully, my grandmother helped me to give me this sort of perspective in life while she was alive. It didn't take her death to shake me to see things as they really are. I remember back to a church service while I was in high school there at Little St. James Church in Montrose, Virginia, and there was a solo during the offertory. The choir there had no more than eight people, and all in it were either volunteers or conscripted. And the solo went that morning to a woman who was not a particularly gifted singer, and this was widely known. I braced myself for the moment that the noise was to commence, and in that that regard, she did not fail. (laughs) After the service, as my grandmother and I were chatting over lunch about the service, she remarked, wasn't that a lovely solo? I looked at her with some disbelief and wondered if she was baiting me into something. But before I could answer, she said, Andrew, it really isn't about how well she sang, but did you hear what she was singing? Wasn't it a beautiful message about Jesus? In light of eternity, in light of Jesus' imminent return, do you find yourself seeing those things that glorify Jesus, that speak of him, that point others to him? Do you find them beautiful? All of our hope, which is different than any other hope that the world offers or any other religion offers, rests in knowing that we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. There's no question about it for those who put their trust in him. The Thessalonians were wanting to know what they ought to be doing. Paul answers, set your hearts upon Christ in this world. Let nothing dissuade you. Let nothing take his place. Let Christ be everything to you so that you might say with Paul, to live is Christ 
and to die is to gain. Let us encourage one another with those words and to build one another up in the faith of Jesus. We know not when Jesus will come again, but he is coming. And until then, let us live as those who keep watch and long for his return, encouraging one another, loving one another, until that great day comes. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.